How many of y'all have watched the latest Avengers? Raise your hand. All right. So if you liked it, give me a hoop. If you didn't like it, give me a hoop. <laughs> Nobody, everyone likes it. Well, that's good. All right. Uh, man, I tell you what, Marvel, the Avengers, that whole thing has just taken off. Since 2017, 22, or 20, uh, 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 2007, 22 different movies and, uh, you know, phases of this whole thing. It's just, I, to be honest with you, I don't get into it. It's not my thing. I'm a Star Wars guy. Any Star Wars people in the house? Yeah. All right. You've never seen a bad Star Wars. No, you have. There's lots of bad ones. But the good ones, the originals, uh, they're the best, all right? Uh, so some people, are there any track fans in the house? I didn't think so. Nobody likes the track. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, you got, everyone has their little, uh, their little, their genre out there. Maybe you like both of them. But I, I think, I have a theory about this, that we like those superheroes. We like the Hulks. We like the Spider-Mans. We, li- we like the Iron Mans. We, we like to think that we might be as strong as Thor one day or that we, we, could, we could do the things that these superheroes could do because we want to be like them. And we like Star Wars and those, those uh, sci-fi thrilling movies of, of fighting good against evil because we want to be the one who conquers the evil. And we want to be the, 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 the avenger or we want to be the, the one who wins in the end. And and uh, so I think in, inside of every child and every adult child in the room today is there's this desire to be more. To be honest with you, I think that's what it is. It's this desire to have more, to accomplish more, not in a, not in a, not in a materialistic kind of way, but it's kind of like we look at our lives and we know our lives, we hit our head on the ceilings of limitations every day. Limitations of time, limitations of energy, limitations of money, limitations of influence, limitations of, of, of perspective, if we can get that self-aware. And so we, we, we face these limitations and we would like to dream of a day that we could overcome more than anybody else those limitations. That ability to go further, deeper, wider than, than ever before. And without going Avenger-like, sci-fi, Marvel comedy-like, I want to believe and I have to believe that God wants more for our life than just the life that we're living. All right, and I'm not trying to go Joel Osteen on you here either, where it's just all, you know, everything, your best life is ahead. I think it is, but I don't think everything is always going to be up and to the right. Sometimes we go through the fires to go up and to the right, all right? God's going to do some works, but I think that God wants more from our lives than just simply the life that we're living. And so I want us to be challenged by that and, and, and not just be sucked into the limitations. Because this is just a statement, just to kind of massage and let it marinate in your soul. And that is that if I only do what I can do, I will only do what I can do. That's not that profound. I know it. All right. You're not going to tweet that or anything like that. I can, if I only do what I can do, I will only do what I can do. Okay. So I am sometimes, listen, the greatest capstone on life. If I only do what I can do, then that will be the capstone. If I am never exploring the depths of what more could be, what more I could be, what more God wants to do in me, then really I am living in sci-fi land or Marvel comedy land thinking that I might ever be anything else. I am limited. I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. 
whatever I can become. I might educate myself more. I might get more trainings. I might, I might go more into debt to get more stuff to try to expand the borders of my capabilities. But in reality, I will only be able to do what I can do. But if I become more of who God is, my identity is actually in him, then I will become more of what the world needs. Now, you'll notice the difference in the two statements. One is about me and for me, all right? And it's all very self-centered. The second statement is, yes, it, it has me involved. I am the subject of the sentence. But at the same time, there is this indirect part out there. There's this other element out there. There's this other figure out there. And that figure being God and what God wants to do in me for the world. And so now I'm growing my capacity. Now I'm influencing more. Now what could God do through me? When you think about when we're talking about this Get Lit series and the whole idea of being the light that this world needs, and being lit, and we've talked about that double meaning in there, and I'm going to play off that double meaning throughout the series in here. But I want us to also just kind of keep that tagline in there, is that if I become lit, if I am fully alive in the, and God is fully at work in me, then I can become the light that this world desperately needs. I can become the love that this world desperately needs. I can be the joy. I can be the patience. I can demonstrate in the society the kindness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control that this world needs when the Spirit is fully alive in me. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 Team, we weren't there. Don't go there now. We were there a few weeks ago. But just as a point of launching pad for this series, we talked about the, the, the idea of not being drunk with wine and how he does a parallel there where he's talking about, but be filled with the Spirit. And the idea is being intoxicated, consumed, saturated by, uh, where it begins to affect how you live, walk, think, your judgments on life, and how your life begins to change because of the presence of God in you. Just like the song, the last song that we sang, how the Spirit changes things. And if we could just come to an awareness of that and allow the awareness of God's Spirit in us, that means His voice, that means His presence, that means His identity. If we start identifying with His Spirit, we start listening to His, discerning His Spirit, then all of a sudden we can begin to see some things happen. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Think about it like this. The spirit of him who, who raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you. So if you think that the spirit was able to do something pretty incredible on Easter Sunday when he raised Jesus from the dead, just be aware that as a follower of Christ, born again, child of God, that, that what happens is that same spirit, not a different spirit, not a carbon copy of that spirit, not, a, not, a, not an imitation of that spirit, not a second-rate class of that spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells, 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 emphasize that word dwells, dwells, lives, resides, saturates, intoxicates, consumes you. 
can be fully, fully alive in you. Again, that is the reality in which we live. J.D. Greer, a book that I've been reading through this series is Jesus Continued. And I love his subtitle, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You. And if we could only understand and embrace the reality that when Jesus went away, oh yeah, it'd be great to walk with Jesus and be one of his disciples, but we got to realize that it is even better that the Spirit be inside of every single one of us, and nobody has the monopoly on that, because at the end of the day, Jesus could only be in Galilee when he was in Galilee. He could never be in Jerusalem and in Egypt and in Syria all at the same time. And so whenever... Whenever Peter was doing this here or when Paul was doing that there, guess what? Because the Spirit could be all places at all times and equally in all places. That blows your mind, I know. It does mine. Uh, wow. There's no out of proportion part of God's Spirit. He is fully alive and fully there. And 36 different times in the book of Acts alone does it refer to God's Holy Spirit speaking. That is more than there are chapters in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is Acts of what? Acts of the Apostles? It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. We live, we call ourselves a New Testament church. We model it much after uh, the book of Acts. So I can't emphasize enough that we just need to wake up to a reality that God's Spirit can be fully alive in us. Superhero-like? If you want to call it that, fine. A, a, a change of life? Absolutely. L- l- listen to these words. John 16, verse 7, when, before Jesus went away, he made this statement to them. It is to your advantage. Let that just sink in. I'll take an advantage any day of the week, okay? If I play golf and I cannot stand golf, I want as many mulligans as I can. How many of y'all take mulligans when you go play golf? The rest of you are lying, Okay. Because there was something on the way. You, you got yourself an advantage on that score. All right. Are we like an advantage whenever we're racing as a kid? You're racing against mom and dad. Hey, give me a head start. Think about it many ways as you can think about getting an advantage in life. What about if I could have an advantage on the job? What if I could have an advantage in my marriage? Who wouldn't take an advantage in their marriage and raising kids? What if I could have an advantage in just the voices in my head? The, the, the things that rattle around upstairs that scare me at times and cause me to be deep and dark in depression, what if I could have an advantage to be able to outhear those voices in my head? What would that advantage be? It is to your advantage. The rest of the verse says this, that I go away. Chapter 16, verse 7. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The advantage is your helper. The helper is a person. It is not an unfair mulligan. It is not somebody rearranging the decks, uh, the cards in the deck to your advantage. The helper is not somebody cheating for you. The helper is somebody living inside of you. And again, I'm I'm emphasizing this, and some of y'all, we cognitively know about this Holy Spirit gig, but we don't really put our arms around it, and I totally get that as well. 
But I want us in this series to understand that if we were to be lit and be the light in this world that this world needs, that we would have an advantage in this world that this world does not have, this world cannot offer, and the advantage is not an unfair play or a mulligan, the advantage or a do-over or anything like that. The advantage is in a person, and the person is a helper, and the helper's name is the Holy Spirit. And the same spirit that dwells, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you and me. Now let's go back to that statement that I said earlier. If we, if I become more of who God is, that means God is fully in me. I'm fully aware that God is in me. I'm listening to his voice. I'm following his moves, his promptings. I am going in step with him. I'm turning off the other voices. I am listening to his voice. I become more of who God is than I become more of what the world needs. That is the God in me. Where God is, I'm naturally natural, but God makes me supernaturally natural. Where God does this incredible work in me, and when I'm intoxicated with God's Spirit, I begin living beyond my limits to the limitless life of God within me. And just imagine that for a second. And I'm not, again, trying to throw some, some pipe dream at you. Just the mere fact that God dwells in you, the same power that raised him from the dead, and I don't have to go through all those verses again, but this, if you just you embrace the fact that the helper has given you advantage and he isn't fully a part of you, then, man, lean in on that. Because I move from a limited life of only getting what I can give, only doing what I can do, only resourcing what I can resource, to now I have the power, the presence, the awareness, the uh, God himself living and making residence in my soul. What would that do? How would that change things? Take your Bibles and open to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, uh, i have been to actually ancient Corinth in the three times in the past year. I've kind of become uh, pretty infatuated with understanding Corinth and and diving into the the uh, the, the letters of Cor- the Corinthian letters. Um, there's at least two. We have two of them in our Bible: First and Second Corinthians, or two Corinthians, as some people might call it. Uh, but uh, anyway, the, there's at least two letters, maybe three or four letters potentially out there, uh, because the way Paul writes his first letter, he's referring to some other li- writings. We don't have those historically. They're just not out there. So, um, uh, so we have what we have. But whenever you look at these letters, he is very in, he has a deep relationship with them. In fact, out of all the places that Paul spent a lot of his time, Corinth was spent, he spent the second greatest amount of time there. He spent three years at Ephesus, but he spent 18 months in Corinth. In Corinth, he stayed with a guy named Gaius, and, uh, and he actually wrote the letter to Romans from Gaius's place or from Corinth. And so there's a lot of history. There's getting a lot, but now he's not in Corinth. He's away from Corinth and he's writing back to the Corinth, uh, Corinthian church because he's heard of things that are going on. Now we're not going to get into all the things that are going on, but what, what he points them to is he get, tells them, get your eyes off of people. Get your eyes off of me. Get your eyes off of Apollos. Get your eyes off of Cephas. Get your eyes off of people. Get your eyes on the Spirit of God. Get your soul connected to Him. 
Don't get lost in all the other minutiae of life. And so we come to this passage, and this is where we kind of jump in. We're going to kind of jump in the middle, midstream here. Chapter 2, verse 9, this is, what it, this is what it says in verse 9 and 10. But as it is written, and as it is written, he's quoting from Isaiah 64, verse 4 here. You can write that in the margin of your Bible. It says, what no eye has seen, think about limitless vision, what no ear has heard, think about limitless hearing, nor heart of man has even imagined, think about limitless creativity, limitless passion of heart. What God has prepared for those who love him. So when I talk about the, that God wants to move us beyond the box of our capacity to a life of limitless living, I'm saying that because he's got things in plan for us. He's got ideas for us that we haven't even thought of. We haven't even heard. It's not been written about. We haven't, it's come, not come to our heart. He has it prepared. It's already in the cooker. It's already in the plans. The provisions are there for those who love him. Let's keep reading. These things God has revealed to us. Good, I want to know where these great, awesome, incredible, never been imagined, never been heard of, never been thought of kind of things are. Where are they out there? Okay, here they come. These things have been revealed to us through the Spirit. Stop. How do I get to this, this secret out there? How do, how do I unpack this? How do I get to this, this unknown, this unexperienced, this un, un, unattained, this limitless whatever? I get to it through the Spirit. So the Spirit has to become a part of my story, has to become a part of my voices, has to become a part of my guidance. And what does the Spirit do whenever He becomes that level of involvement in my life? I think He takes us to new depths. Okay, let's hit these depths real quick. There's three of them in particular in this passage that we'll unpack. One, He takes us to the limitless depths of God. Now that in itself is a contradiction. To take someone to the limitless depths of God, as if you're going to reach the depths of God. That's a, it's a contradiction, and because you can't ever reach anything that is infinite. It is, it is ongoing. It's, it, it never ends. It, it, it's, it's never contained. It's, there's not a box. It's, it's kind of like we're studying in space and then we just keep going and we keep seeing and there's more and more and there's more and more. Think about that now as it relates to the one who made the space. It takes eternity to study the infinity. God is infinite. Man is finite. Man is limited in, in, in every way. God is limitless always. Unpack the limitlessness of God. How do I get there? Think about the Tower of Babel. What did they do? They were trying to build their way up to God. They were trying to get to God. Think about in Athens, Greece. In ancient Greece culture, 
What did they have? They had the temple Aphrodite. They had the temple of Zeus. They had the temple of Nike. They had the temple of Athena. They even had so many they had so many altars down in the in the agora of the city that they even had a temple to the unknown god. It's like, we don't even know who the God is out there, but there's a God out there. In essence, what they were saying is we have studied this deity for so long and we can't even reach the ends of this deity. So there's an unknown God out there. Mankind has for years and years and years been trying to get to who is God? Where is God? Deepak Chopra is a guy today that's popularly written and read today who's trying to tell you that you can become like God. There's a lot of people that are believing the lie. You can have God in you, but you are not God. You can connect with God in you, but that doesn't make you a God. Christmas's message is God with us. Easter's message is God for us. Pentecost's message is God in us. When you think about what what this message of Christ sending his spirit, what, what happens? And you look at these words here in verse 10. It says, these things God has revealed, searches the depths of God. I like these words. If you're bored with Christianity, that's not Christianity's fault. If you're bored with Christ, that's not Christ's fault. If you're bored with God, that's not God's fault. You just have stopped the search, stop the hunting, because God is wanting to show to us the depths. This word revealed is an interesting Greek word, apokalapo. And it means, the word apo is on the front end of this word, and it is negating the last part of this word. The basic meaning of the uh, of this compound word is to bury or to hide. But when you put apo in front of it, it means to unbury or to unhide. So the reality is that in the soils of life, in the cosmos of, a, of the atmosphere, there are many things that we can't even get to. And God just continues to unveil them. God doesn't change, but the reality of the depths of who he is continues to reveal himself. And you remember as a kid how you used to live out the adventures of life? Just like these action figure heroes of our day. We lived out the adventures of our life. We took our kids to Africa, and some people would ask us, are you taking your kids to Africa when you move there? Yeah, no, we're going to leave them with you and let you raise them. Yeah, we took our kids to Africa, and they loved it. We had Jordan, for example. She had as many cats as she wanted. We, uh, you can have as many cats as you want because the, the cats keep, the, keep the, the varmints out. In fact, we have a picture of her with her cats. All right, throw it up there, guys. There we go. And that's just a few of them, okay? No, no cats were harmed in the making of this photo. Even one of them is smiling, I think, in the middle there. <laughs> However, some cats might have been hurt in some other photos. But we had cats because cats kept the, the, um, kept the mice away, kept the snakes away. And so, of course, when in Africa, you don't want snakes in your yard. So we had as many cats as we could have. So it was an adventure for her. But for the boys, it was a different adventure. They liked to dig, and we didn't have grass. And so we just said, dig. And they would go in the backyard, and they would look for buried treasure. And they would dig every day a new hole and it would fill up with water and then they'd just go play in that water. So we didn't have an in-ground pool. We had an in-ground pool. It was just a muddy one. 
And we just let them out. Now, granted, now they might have caught some worms and some diseases there. As long as there's no statute of limitations on child neglect, then please, I, I, I will not confirm nor deny that that happened on our watch. But uh, the point being is that there was an adventuresomeness about them. Have you lost your adventure? Because the Spirit of God wants to reveal himself to you. He searches down deep. What does he show? What does he find when he goes down there? Look back at verse 12. He says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for he knows the person's thoughts except for who knows the person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person. Basically he said, Who knows God better than God Himself? God's Spirit, of course. So also no one comprehends the, the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God's Spirit wants to reveal, uncover, take out of hiding so much that we don't know because we put God in a box, that we don't understand because I don't understand it, so therefore I can't figure it out. And we close it off, and God is wanting to show us not only himself, but the things that he's freely given us. So I wonder sometimes if I become the cap of God's blessings on my life, the cap of God's working in my life, because I don't let the Spirit of God fully alive in my life. I'm not in touch. I'm not aware. I'm not engaged with. But he also exposes the finite depths of man. Now, there's only so much that we, we know. But there, my daily abiding with Christ is the best thing for my arrogant, proud self. I'll promise you that. The more God shows me about himself, the less I see how big I am. You show me an arrogant person. You show me a person who's pretty proud of what they've done. You show me a person who's like waiting for the pats on the back. You show me a person like that. I'll show you a person who has a small view of God and a big view of themselves. They think that they're pretty something. But what God is wanting to show is that he's pretty something. And that we're not going to get it until we make ourselves smaller and understand that he is much bigger. you got to realize Paul's writing this, and he's writing to a very educated community. He himself grew up in Tarsus, a very educated community. Some people would call it an Ivy League school, Tarsus was. But now he's 52 miles from Athens. Athens is literally a chariot's drive from, uh, from, from Corinth. Corinth is a large megacity, if you will, of that day. Lots of money in that town, lots of power in that town, lots of influence in that town. Corinthian bronze, uh, 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 excuse me, bronze was from there. Raisins were invented there. Uh, there was a great trade practice there uh, in Corinth. But also just 52 miles away to the east was the city of Athens where there was great in intellect of man. There was great education opportunities. That's where the academy was. That's where Socrates and Plato and Aristotle taught there in uh, Athens. Herodotus 
was the first, or was the oldest historian around uh, that we have historical writings of. Hippocrates was the first uh, doctor, the father of modern medicine, of which Hippocratic oath, of which doctors pledge uh, whenever they take on that, that practice. All of these people were from, from, from Athens. All of these people were from classical Greek. Now, I say all of that to say that this is a very educated sound, almost arrogantly. Who needs God? We've got all the answers ourselves. Verse 13. And we impart this words not taught by human wisdom. And you have to understand it in its context. Not taught by Aristotle, not taught by Plato, not taught by Socrates, not taught by Deepak Chopra, not taught by Oprah Winfrey, not taught by anybody else in popular thinking out there today. No, this, this wisdom is not by man, but it's taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. God has so much to say. Despite our degrees, despite our accomplishments, the Spirit of God wants to be the guide of our lives. The Spirit of God, it says in John 16, 13, is the one who will guide us into the truth. The spirit of truth becomes the guide into the truth of life. John 15, 26, he's the one who's the advocate for us. He literally is our best champion in life is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one who intercedes for us. When I can't pray, I've lost my words to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't even have the right words to say. And I've lost all my words. I've said all the words because the pain is so great, because the fear is so so overwhelming, because of whatever emotions that are controlling and consuming me. Guess what? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. Guess what? He knows my heart. He knows what I'm going through. And he is praying for me. That should have got an amen somewhere in there. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He sets us free. He sets us free. The Spirit of life that has set us free in Christ. You've got to remember in context what Paul was just writing about in chapter 7. He just got through talking about how he couldn't get free. How the things he didn't want to do, he keeps doing. The things he doesn't want, to, the things he wants to do, he doesn't seem able to, be able to do. Anybody identify with that? I didn't mean to blow up. I didn't mean to lose my temper. I didn't mean to to lust. I didn't mean to overspend. I didn't mean to. And man, I keep doing it week after week, month after month, day after day, hour after hour. How am I ever going to get victory? That's chapter seven. Go to chapter eight, and you find that where does this freedom come? It comes through the Spirit of God. Paul mentions the Spirit of God more in the book of Romans chapter 8 than any other chapter in all of the 13 books that he writes. The secret to victory in life is not mind over matter, is not money over over circumstances, is not a better wife, a better husband, a better whatever. The Spirit of God fully alive in me will set me free. Do you know him today? Or is he a dormant presence? Now, key phrase here. 
He said it multiple times, so I don't want you to miss it. He said, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's not the high and mighty spiritual. It's not the the one who can lead a a hundred Bible studies. Uh, It's not the one who can always read through the Bible in a year or whatever the case may be. You put your spiritual uh, epitaph up there or whatever you think it is, the bar up there. No, no, no. It's, 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 It's alive in the Spirit, aware of the Spirit, consumed by the Spirit, intoxicated by the Spirit. Because then he takes us to a new depth. He moves us to the new depths of ourselves. We see the new depths of understanding the limit, the finite part of man. We understand the deeper elements of God, and we haven't even uncovered even the beginning of who God is. And he just wants to keep showing himself to us. He wants to keep showing himself to us. He wants to unveil some more stuff to us. Are we there? Are we there? Are you ready for what God wants to show about himself to you? Are you there? But what problem is, is that some people aren't there and they become their own limitation again. God moves us to new depths of ourselves. When he calls us to be spiritual people, spiritual people. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said it like this. Very, very, truly I say to you that the kingdom of, that, that no, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus answered, because Nicodemus got lost in it. He couldn't figure all that part out of being born again. How do I go back into my mother? And he he said, no, 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 this is what I mean. Very truly, I tell you that no one can either enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born of water. And notice what else? Born of the spirit. The spiritual rebirth makes a person spiritual. Not going to church, not being a church member. There's a spiritual rebirth that must take place. But let's keep going. Because in the very next verse, verse 14 and verse 16, we have this. He shows us the other contrast here. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because he is a... He is not spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so that to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. When Christ is a part of us, when God is, in, is, is, is a part of us, when his spirit is alive within us, he abides in us. John 15, six different times. He's indwelling us, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16. He's filling us, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He's baptizing us. He's immersing us. He's intoxicating us. He's saturating us, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. God is absolutely showing up in our lives. Are you limited or are you limitless? Apart from me, God said, Apart from me, if you abide in me, you, you, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. God wants to do so much through us. Whenever we were in Africa, back on that story of our life, 
There was, uh, there was I, in fact, I'll just say, I have no skills whatsoever when it comes to building, making, or repairing things. Yes. <laughs> and um, so what I can do is throw a couple of ropes over a, over a tree limb and make a swing, okay? I can do that much. Uh, but, and I've been trying to think all week, how do I illustrate what it means to be connected to somebody who has closer to limitless skills and limitless whatever? So our, my father-in-law comes over to visit one time. And the kids didn't have a swing set in the backyard. And I have no skills. I had a swing on a tree. See the ropes? See the swing? But he had visions for so much more of what our kids could have. And he had time. He was with us. So he had money. Uh, So I said, okay, we can talk. And uh, so we go down to this lumber yard because there's no prefabricated play sets in Africa. We went down and we just got the lumber just from the, the mill. And it was as rough as could be. And we went back and we just made it. And it took us all week. And I say we. Notice we made this. As far as the kids know, Daddy and Poppy were out making them this great big fort, if you will, that had ropes and slides and netting that you could climb up. In fact, we have a picture of it with uh, Poppy in in it. And we even had to take a a piece of plywood and take take the... um, uh, a piece of laminate and put on the slide to make our own slide. So we did all this work. And as far as they know, daddy and poppy are doing it, but daddy and poppy aren't doing it. Poppy's doing it. And daddy is helping poppy. And he has the skills. He has the resources. I'm just his helper. And I got to thinking about that this week. I said, that's probably the best example. We ask God to come into our life and help us. When we become the master planner builder of our lives. When really, if we understood all the depths of what God has already prepared for you and me, we wouldn't be saying to God, God, hey, come over here and help me with my little piddly Annie stuff. Help me fix my messes. Help, help me get my dreams reality. No, we'd be saying, God or Poppy, what's the plans? You've got the resources. You've got the skills. I'm listening to you. I'm following you. I am your helper. You're not my helper. You see the difference of a relationship that we should have with Jesus? That will not happen unless you have been born again. Unless you have been born of the Spirit. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it as plain as I can today. Please listen very carefully. Because the further we go into this series, as we talk about the manifestation starting next week of what happens when the Spirit is in you, the manifestation of more love and more joy and more peace and more kindness and on and on and on. Before we can even go there, we got to get one thing straight. Is the Spirit of God dwelling in me? And he's not dwelling in me because I go to church. He's not dwelling in me 
because I have a Spotify playlist of Christian songs that help me out on a bad day. He's not dwelling in me because I think I know the preacher and the preacher knows God. Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit? It's right where you're at. Just cry out to him in your seat. You just say, God, I want you to be in me. I want to be born of the Spirit. I want the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to dwell in me. I want to know and experience what it's like to walk in freedom. I want to know what it's like to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And I'm not going to get there on my own, God. I want your spirit alive in me. I want to know the depths of you. Because I've seen the, the finite depths of myself. It's almost until we come to the end of ourselves we can never understand the depths of God. Would you bow your heads with me? The way we're going to do this is pretty simple. All around the room, there's going to be prayer partners. They're going to just be hanging out. But if you're here today, in fact, prayer partners right now, you can just kind of move to your spots. Um, if you're here today and you say, Mike, I, I, I need to be born again. I need to be born of the Spirit. I, I need to. Right where you're at, just say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Would you save me? Would you make me whole? Would you make me, would you make me your child? Would you give me your Spirit? Because I am not living with your Spirit dwelling in me. Now, just with every head bowed and every person just in the spirit of praying and, and assessing, where am I with the Spirit of God? If you're here today and you say, Mike, I, I'm ready and I, and, I, and I want to be born again and I want the Spirit of God dwelling in me. I want to be born again. I want to trust Jesus what I want you to do is just raise your hand and put it back down. This is just you making a statement to God, to, to, to prayer partners around, that we're going to pray for you. We're not going to come to you. Just raise it up and put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Put it, just raise it up and put it down. Say, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I can't do it myself. I've tried it. I've come to the end of my finite abilities. I want to give myself to following Jesus. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. As soon as we stand, as soon as we start to sing, as soon as this band comes, you stand up, you go to one of our prayer partners. You say, I don't even know what to do next. I just know I need Jesus. I need his spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you know who it is. You know who we are. You know what we need. Would you do your work right here and now in this space and in this time? 